Hello and welcome to the 10th and final episode of the Midweek Simplicity Podcast. What a journey we have been on together and how bittersweet it is to end this series and move on to the next. With this final midweek episode, I want us to consider one thing. What does it look like to arrive quote unquote, at a minimalist lifestyle? And how do we stay there or maintain what we've worked to achieve? Many of you started this journey just after New Year's when we started the series. Others were at it long before we started the series. And perhaps some of you are just beginning or have yet to begin. But in either case, as you journey, which in my experience takes at least 6 to 12 months, we have to ask, what is it that you're aiming for? How do you know when you've finished minimizing? How do you, quote, arrive at your destination? The key thing to remember in all of this is that there is, in fact, a destination to arrive at, but that destination is going to be different for each person. Because through biblical minimalism, you are reducing your possessions to the point that it brings freedom in your life. And that's going to look different for you than it is for me. Maybe you have a hundred pairs of shoes and two books, uh, and I have a hundred books and only two pairs of shoes, but we've both arrived at a place where we've reduced our possessions to the point that it breaks our sense of materialism, and we realize that we have everything that we need. In our family, uh, part of that process was dropping from two cars down to one. That simplified things for us. It brought freedom. It brought greater financial freedom, uh, less time in maintenance and cleaning and car care, uh, less to worry about. It was great. But for others, being a one-car family uh, would not bring joy or simplicity. It might make things more complicated. Uh, It might bring misery, not joy. Uh, If you have two adults working outside the home and kids that need rides to school and sports practice, uh, then one car might complicate life rather than simplify it. And that's okay. You have to figure out where that level of freedom lies for you. Uh, There really are no rules or requirements when executing minimalism because it's a lifestyle that's meant to serve you, not the other way around. Think of uh, Jesus talking about the Sabbath, and he says the Sabbath was made for man uh, to serve and benefit us, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, The second you become enslaved to minimalism as sort of an external thing, as something that you serve, then it loses its value. Uh, Biblical minimalism is meant to serve you and foster a beautiful life with God. And as a result, it's, it's a bendable, shapeable, adaptable thing that's going to be unique to you. Uh, Simplicity is all about uh, making a lifestyle that aligns with your priorities, not mine, 
uh, not the minimalists, not Marie Kondo's, not some picture-perfect Instagram family that you've been following, uh, and and certainly uh, not with your friends or family's assumptions about what minimalism should look like. Uh, this journey, your journey, is for you. It's about making your time, money, and possessions reflect what you value most. So how you execute that will be uniquely fitted to you. But at the same time, all of us are asking on our unique journeys, what is the perfect amount of possessions for me to own? Most people don't know. We have been surrounded, most of us, with far more than we need since the day that we were born. But as you continue to reduce and minimize, eventually you will hit a point that you know is just right for you. Uh, something, something clicks. Something comes to life. You realize, ah, this is it. This is all I need to be happy. I don't need anything more. In fact, Marie Kondo calls this the click point, and she claims that once you have that magic moment that you'll never rebound or go back to clutter again because it feels so good to live there. And I don't think it's fair to say that you'll never rebound. I think she maybe went a little too far in that. Uh, I think there's still a ch very real chance of that happening. Uh, but whether you have yet to hit your, quote, click point, or maybe whether you're already there, we all have to think about uh, maintenance or how to live in that space going forward. And nobody wants to do all the, the hard work and the hard work of biblical minimalism only to slip back into patterns of mindless consumption. So first, uh, we fight our way toward less. We discover with joy the minimum amount that allows you to maximize what is actually important in your life. You find your click point, if that's helpful, your happy place. You eventually arrive at this place, even within your home, where you only have what you need and love and value, and there's no more clutter in your home, in your mind, on your calendar, in your heart. Uh, there's sort of this sense, even as you, you survey your surroundings, that there's a place for everything and everything in its place. And that's when you've arrived. And to be fair, I'm, I'm still not there yet. Over the last year or so, I've given away roughly 90% of my clothes, 90% of my sentimental stuff, over 90% of my books, uh, and probably 80% of all my other possessions. I mostly just have some clothes, a few of my favorite books, and my sports and outdoor gear. Along the way, through this journey, God has done some massive work in my heart, exposing my idolatry, exposing where my treasure was, exposing my lack of trust in God's provision for the future. It has been one of the greatest and most meaningful adventures that I've had in life with Jesus. I have been thrilled over and over again, by the grace of God, by his ability to search my heart and speak to me and challenge and grow and transform me. And I continue to be thrilled by this journey, uh, hence my sadness over the end of the series. But I would say that I still haven't arrived. And uh, as 
a family, we certainly haven't arrived either. Despite multiple large garage sales, countless minivans, loads worth of stuff to the Goodwill, thousands of items sold or given away, we still haven't arrived. But eventually, we will. And we get a little closer each day. And the question then becomes, how do I maintain? Uh, How do I keep from going back? You can imagine someone who's maybe done a special diet uh, to lose 20 pounds, but now they want to stay at their new weight. So, so what's the, the new, uh, the maintenance diet, so to speak? How do we stay there and not rebound? Uh, and the first thing I'll mention that sort of goes without saying is that the more ruthless you are up front, the more drastic you are in getting rid of stuff during your minimizing journey, the easier it will be to maintain. Uh, Think of it this way. If you only get rid of 10% of your stuff, uh, you really don't notice. And you could easily gain back that 10% again without really noticing. But if you get rid of 80% of your stuff, you will come to a new place. You will experience life differently. And not only will you not want to go back, but it will be really easy to see when new junk starts to accumulate. It will be really easy to tell when there's not a place for everything and everything in its place. Uh, Perhaps you arrive at this place where all of your tables and countertops are clear of clutter. Uh, Maybe you arrive at a place where you have an entire closet that's empty or that just has your favorite jacket in it. Uh, Well, if that's the case, then it's really easy to notice when things start accumulating on countertops or tables or in that closet that used to be empty. And as a result, you can easily uh, tackle that stuff and process it out. But the more drastic you are up front, the easier maintenance will be. As part of maintaining a life of simplicity, uh, try to, one thing that I've found really helpful is uh, processing things quickly as they come up. So when you get mail, you can recycle the junk mail and advertisements immediately. I don't even let that stuff in the house anymore. I just grab it from the mailbox, grab out the personal letters and bills, and just recycle the rest straight into the blue bin before it even gets in the door. Uh, Then you process your bills and letters quickly. You don't leave them uh, sitting out where you're going to see them 10, 20, 30 different times and keep thinking about it without doing anything. Uh, We tackle those things quickly, we process them quickly, and we're done. Uh, We do the same with the dishes. Uh, Finish a meal, process the dishes, just be done. When you take off your clothes at the end of the day, Do the same thing. Process them right away, right then and there, and be done. Uh, Either you put them back in your closet to wear again in the future, or you toss them into the dirty clothes hamper. Uh, Don't drop them all in a pile to sort out later. Uh, In fact, the experts would say that if you can do a job in two minutes or less, then do it right now. No excuses, no piling things up, no delaying and looking over at them again and again and again. Uh, We just act on it. Just do it in the moment and be done. And remember that the more drastic you are up front, the easier it will be to clean and maintain later. 
uh, to, to make things even better by some mystery. The less clothes you own, the less laundry you'll do, the less dishes you own, the fewer dishes you'll do. Uh, I'll let you sit and contemplate why that might be the case. But daily and weekly upkeep gets way easier after you minimize. Uh, imagine just in your mind's eye, just imagine for a second, if your kids, uh, just had the 12 toys that they loved instead of 280 toys that they don't really care for. I mean, that right there will change your life and theirs. Uh, but anyhow, those are a few basic thoughts on daily and weekly upkeep. In the bigger picture, uh, probably once or twice a year moving forward, you'll have to have a minimalism day where you go through your house and process stuff out again. But trust me, it is nothing like the year-long process that it takes to become minimalist. In fact, most people who, quote, arrive say that they simply enjoy their space and their stuff all year long, and then they spend one hour every six to 12 months in minimalism mode. So if you've truly arrived, then an hour in January and an hour in June should do the trick moving forward. Uh, you may want to plan those times to coincide with a month after Christmas and a month after birthdays if you can. The gift-giving holidays can kind of become a minimalist worst nightmare because your house gets flooded with a bunch of stuff that other people bought for you because it was on sale and they were expected to get you something. Uh, and most of it doesn't even come close to making the cut or earning a place in your new home. Uh, does it spark joy? Well, most of us know within about five seconds of opening the gift whether or not it sparks joy. And most of the time, sadly, the answer is no. In fact, a, a uh, stunning percentage of the American population says that they don't enjoy the gifts that they're given and either keep them out of guilt without using them or they just throw them away which means that most of the billions of dollars that we spend every Christmas season season is just totally wasted. Uh, but there's two things that we can do in response to that. Uh, the first is that if you have kids, let your kids play with their new stuff. It may take a month or sometimes two or even more for them to figure out which toys will be timeless classics and kind of make their top 12 uh, and which were just sort of trendy gimmicky stuff that they'll play with for two weeks and then never touch again. But do give them time in the aftermath to kind of sort that out. And you can give yourself time too. There's no rush. You can wear that new shirt that you were given a few times uh, before you make the call. But after a month or so, usually you can go back and kind of uh, purge your excess stuff and you should do so guilt-free. Don't keep anything out of guilt for someone else's feelings. Uh, the other thing that's been really helpful for us that I mentioned last midweek episode was creating a decent gift guide uh, that we email out in advance of Christmas or gift giving holidays. Uh, that helps keep things on track and we promote experiences over stuff. Uh, we point our relatives toward gifts that are smaller, higher quality items or things that we think uh, will genuinely bring joy or be used often. That single practice of of doing the gift guide has helped immensely in maintaining a simpler home. Uh, 
Uh, perhaps the greatest shock in my overall in my minimalism journey was just how much I really uh, didn't need, how much I was holding onto that just wasn't necessary, and how much joy I got from getting rid of it. That was the initial just kind of mind-blowing realization through biblical minimalism. But as our journey has continued, the greatest shock within our journey has been how quickly things accumulate. It is insane. Uh, we aren't even buying anything. And still stuff just flows into our home, especially through our kids. It is insane how easy it is to accumulate stuff in America. Even when you're kicking and screaming and fighting against it, still in it flows. Uh, so I think no matter how much joy you find in your click point, you still have to do maintenance at least once a year or twice a year. In an ideal world, uh, you could uh, kind of think of it mentally as like one item in, one item out. Uh, at, at least in your mind, uh, that should kind of make sense. If I have all that I need, if I already know that I have enough, I have everything that I need, but now I'm bringing something new into my home, well, then what is it replacing? Uh, what else is going to leave in the process? But I think on the ground, uh, practically day to day, instead of making some sort of strict one in one out policy, I think the more livable policy is just living with limits. I think that makes even more sense. So rather than counting the exact number of clothes that you have and doing a strict one in, one out, which is sometimes burdensome, uh, I just commit uh, to only what will fit in my closet. Uh, so if my closet is stuffed or overflowing, then during that twice a year reset, I'm going to remove the things that no longer add value, spark joy, enhance life with Jesus. If you just set limits for yourself around the home, then in my experience, it's much easier to work with and it's easier to tell when you stepped over those limits or boundaries. Uh, another highly effective practice that I've mentioned in the past is the maybe pile. And that works when you first tackle your possessions and begin minimizing, but it also works for maintenance as well. So even today, as I find clutter or silly things around the house, I just scoop them up and I put them in a designated box in the closet under our stairs. And if the stuff sits in there for six months and no one asks for it, then it means we don't need it. So out it goes with my wife's approval, of course. Uh, and if something ends up in there that someone does want or need, well then no problem. We just pull it back out of the box and start using it and enjoying it again. But as we do that, we make sure, no, this actually has a place in the home, a permanent place around the house where it can be stored. Uh, and then the final thing to think about in terms of maintenance is changing your buying habits. Uh, we, if, if you go through all of that work of minimizing, but you don't change your intake or your buying habits, uh, then you will end up back where you were before. Most of us have been trained by the consumer economy to just constantly buy stuff uh, as if we are on autopilot. And that is a really hard habit to break. Uh, it, it's an addiction. It's like cigarette smoking. Like, how do I snap out of these patterns of consumption? But if we don't challenge those patterns, if we don't break it, then we'll just fill our homes and lives and calendars and minds and hearts 
up with junk all over again. So we have to confront that. Uh, we don't just change what we own. We have to change the way we shop as well. Uh, and many people find it helpful in changing their habits to start with a fast, like no shopping on Amazon for 30 days or no buying clothes for 30 days. And sometimes one month turns into two and two months turns into three and you just keep going. I've read about examples of people who started with 30 days and have now gone eight years without buying clothes because they realized they just didn't need to. Uh, but even if you uh, do go back after 30 days and start buying clothes again, hopefully it's with a new mindset and with new goals in mind. So here are some things to think about uh, as you buy. Question number one, uh, what is the true cost of this item? We ask that before we pull the trigger. How much will it cost in terms of time, maintenance, cleaning, insurance, using it, organizing it, etc.? In other words, what is the true cost to me? How much time, energy, attention will this actually demand from me? And then the flip side is, what is the true cost to others? By purchasing this item, am I harming the poor or the planet? Uh, am I uh, buying from a reputable source or a sketchy one? Uh, if it harms you by demanding too much of your time, energy, and attention, then don't buy it. And on the flip side, if it harms others through slave labor or dumping chemicals into local water supplies in India, then don't buy it. Uh, the cost is too high, even if the price tag is low. So step number one, ask what is the true cost of this item for myself and others? Number two, avoid impulse buying. Uh, sit on a purchase and wait. You can even pray and ask God to supply it for you if you really need it. Ask God to, to supply this another way so that you can free up that money for other things, for better things. But in any case, if you just wait a week, you'd be amazed how many things you lose interest in. Uh, and during that time, you can ask, why do I want this? Seek out the deeper motivations of the heart during that waiting period. Is this a coping mechanism to cover up pain? Is shopping therapy? Am I trying to simply look good or impress others? Why do I want that so badly? Uh, am I buying it because it's on sale and I have a fear of missing out? Why do I want to buy this thing so badly? Uh, and how good might it feel to just say no and to not buy it? So first, we ask that question, what is the true cost? Uh, second, we avoid impulse buying. And third, if you are going to buy, try buying fewer, higher quality items. You will never regret it. Uh, some qual high quality items are expensive, but totally worth the expense, and others are cheap. You can find high quality items at Goodwill if you're willing to look for them, but seek quality in all things. Number four, ask yourself if this purchase is supporting your kingdom goals and life with Jesus. We've, we've kind of challenged you to define through this series, what is God calling me to do with my life? And will this distract from that calling? So ask yourself that question before you swipe your credit card. Uh, number five, share and borrow things. 
We have a whole channel on the church Slack page just for free stuff that people are giving away. And we have a borrow channel as well. You don't need to own everything under the sun and pay for it and maintain it and clean it and all of that. Just borrow it instead. If you need a pressure washer or a circular saw or five kayaks and all the gear for the weekend, just let me know. Like We love lending out our things. It's a huge source of joy. Uh, number six, cultivate a deeper appreciation for the free stuff. Uh, think walking in nature, uh, a cup of tea, quality time with friends, a Saturday afternoon hike, whatever it is that brings you joy, uh, odds are it doesn't cost a lot of money. And finally, continue to experiment moving forward. Uh, see what you can live without and how much joy it brings. Try reducing or even eliminating TV and social media and just see how that feels. Uh, watch what effect it has on your sense of materialism. Just try things out and see how it goes. And don't be afraid to fail along the way. In a typical a minimalism journey, there will be one to three items that you discard in the course of your year that you later regret. Ah, oh, shoot, I actually do want to read that book or wear that shirt. It doesn't happen often. In fact, it's quite rare, but it could happen. And if it does, we just say, no worries. Uh, first off, you'll find joy in making do and going without it. You may even realize that you don't actually need it after all, which is very empowering. And worst case, you recognize that you do need one and you buy it back. Like that's, that's it. That's the worst case. And that's a very small price to pay for a lifestyle of joy and simplicity, for a carefree unconcern for possessions. The potential risk is far, far outweighed by the guaranteed daily and lifelong benefits that minimalism will bring. So get out there, take some risks, try new things, continue to experiment, uh, practice gratitude for what you do have, which studies show will increase your happiness and satisfaction while diminishing your desire for more. Continue to follow Jesus into a simpler and more abundant life and don't turn back. Cheryl Smith, in her book, Biblical Minimalism, talks about the moment when Lot and his family are fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah as the Lord's judgment comes on those cities. And the angel that is directing them says, don't look back. And of course, uh, Lot's wife does look back and she's turned into a pillar of salt. Uh, but Cheryl makes the point uh, that Lot's wife was looking back at her home and at her stuff. Uh, she was sad to leave them behind. And so she looked back at all her stuff and that was her undoing. Don't look back. Trust in God. Continue to step out and to step into deeper waters. Jesus says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of me or is fit for the kingdom of God. Meaning don't look back and lust over your old life. Press on, run the race that you've been given to run. And last of all, remember what you are journeying toward. 
Jesus tells the parable of the merchant who finds a pearl of great price and he sells all that he has to buy that pearl. Uh, The merchant within that parable was likely very wealthy. He probably had a lot of stuff, way more than most of the people around him. But it says he sells it all to have the one thing that he wants most. What is that thing within the kingdom of God? What is it for you? What is God calling you to with the one life that you've been given? Grab hold of that. We don't just minimize and then sit around in an organized home. Uh, Go and get that pearl. Book the plane ticket. Put your house on the market. Dream big dreams and take hold of those dreams. We aren't minimizing for nothing. We aren't simplifying so that we can be less stressed. Uh, We want the pearl. Uh, What would you do? If you knew that you couldn't fail, what is that thing? Uh, Just dream incredible dreams with God and then sell everything in order to take hold of that dream. Life is short and we can't waste it on materialism. Let's start living eternal lives right here and right now. And with that, we'll end our series. I would encourage you to go back in the year that lies ahead and read or even reread some of the recommended books. Uh, You can go back and listen through the entire series via the podcast if you want to or if you can, but do whatever you have to to let this new type of life take root and grow. Uh, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. As always, blessings on your minimalism journey moving forward, and we will see you on Sunday. 